0: Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. Content
1: builds the relationship and then that drives the shopping. It's a cause and effect.
2: One thing that you're seeing that you'll see in a big way is a transformation away from transactional sites to more content and community led sites and experiences. So. Riffing on what Sarah shared, you know, this idea of of integrating content first into the native shopping experience is super important and something you'll see a lot more of.
1: Brands showing up as people, people with fully fledged personalities. And probably the best example of that is the Duolingo brand that we put in the yearbook.
3: Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, one of my favorite anecdotes from you over the years of recording the show was when you told the story of when you were working on the Oreo business and you took your team to a Walmart and you were walking the aisles. It was one of the best
4: field trips we ever went on. Might've been the only field trip we ever went on, but it was one of the most important field trips we ever went on. Our employees at the time were city dwellers and going food shopping meant going to the bodega. This isn't, you know, before the days of Instacart. Generally speaking, if you needed products that you went to a Gristini's or Dagosinos for those in the New York area that's the way our creative strategists, social media people shop. And so, yeah, we rented a bus and we drove out to Jersey and we went to Walmart Supercenter and a Target and a 7-Eleven and tried to walk a mile in our shopper shoes and, you know, designated people to be, you know, dads of two kids trying to prep for a birthday party and a mom on a limited budget trying to figure out how to buy ingredients for the week to make for dinner. And it completely changed the way people thought about what it meant to market brands if you kind of don't understand what it's like to walk a mile in your shopper shoes.
3: I love that you did that. I also love when Jay Sethi from Diageo was on the show and he was talking about reaching different types of cultural demographics. And we asked him like, how do you teach your New York City executive employees what it's like? To market to a Hispanic community in the U.S. and and his answer was, "You go take them to eat." And this experiential, empathetic approach to understanding your customer is so important, especially when we talk about the next great customer who, in the year 2025, starts to turn 30, which is Gen Z.
4: Yeah, and uh, as the parents of two of them, the last thing I want to do is them as my focus group <laughs> you know you want to make sure that if you're a strong marketer that you can walk a mile in their shoes and who the hell knows what brands are these shoes that they will be walking in
3: and this is why i'm super excited to bring sarah wilson and michelle goad onto the show because here sarah a former meta employee here michelle a nike executive two women who are dedicated for their careers to understanding Gen Z and being super empathetic about this next great customer that's gonna have so much buying power around the world to really recognize their dedication. They've published a piece of content. Some might call it a white paper, other might call it a yearbook, but the brandyearbook.com that highlights what brands they believe are resonating with Gen Z. So let's bring them onto the show to understand what they learned through creating the brand yearbook for Gen Z. Hello, Sarah and Michelle. Hello, hello. We're so happy to be here. So the brand yearbook, you guys put this out in market a few months ago. And from my understanding, I did see it make uh, the LinkedIn airwaves. It's both of your subjective take on what brands are resonating with Gen Z and why. We'd love to understand why you decided to partner together to publish this, why you feel you two are the best to publish a report like this because you have a lot of domain expertise, and also why you decided to make this subjective versus objective when it comes to the research of Gen Z.
1: Yeah, totally.
3: Michelle and I met when I was working
1: with Nike. It was sort of a client consultant capacity. I came on to help launch NBG, which was an app for Gen Z girls. So we got into the weeds on all things Gen Z and started DMing obsessively about this topic and realized this sort of mutual passion and sort of that continued to today. And so when we started to think about how do we want to collaborate, what could be really fun, we saw this opportunity with reports. We saw end-of-year reports as this place where there's an insane tsunami at the end of the year, as we all know. And it's overwhelming. You don't know where to start. We thought, how can we bring some fun to this? And how can we actually bring our, you know, obsession, our knowledge, our expertise that we already have to a really sort of fun take on the space. And um, we're solidly millennial. We do not profess to be <laughs> Gen Z. Uh, that's important to say, but we are digital obsessives with backgrounds in you know editorial content, digital commerce, consumer product and social platforms. And again, we spend inordinate about of time talking to our Gen Z brain trust and consuming that information and constantly quarterbacking. So We really wanted to take that information and bring it to uh, a really fun report. And Michelle, I'll let you take why we decide to do this in a totally unscientific and subjective way.
2: Absolutely. So um, to embarrass Sarah further, so I formerly ran Gen Z Innovation for Nike globally. And when I was putting the dream team together of people that I wanted to help us build that bridge, Sarah was one of the first calls that I made so that I will embarrass her on On the content and community side. There is no one else you want at the table other than Sarah. So that's how we first met. And then when we got into how do we start to think about sharing what's amazing that brands are doing? I think we combine this collective energy of every time a brand just does something flawlessly in the space, you really just want a standing ovation that team because it's really hard to serve a consumer that you are not. And so I feel like we started to constantly be like, oh my gosh, did you see so-and-so? That was incredible. And the viral reach, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was this sort of like hype girl (laughs) that we're like, let's put out a product that celebrates these people, and then also surfaces brands that have ridiculous competitive advantages to play in the space. So that's sort of the energy where it spawned from. And then when we were thinking about the reporting side, so obviously coming from the corporate world, you know, you read a zillion reports every year. And I think for us, we wanted to make it a product that actually aligned to the consumer we were serving. In our riffs, we were thinking about, okay, well, what's something that celebrates brands' that we can take it to the Gen Z level. And of course, you know, the idea of a yearbook was really compelling. And then we started talking about um, superlatives and how funny and fun those were. And we were literally sharing our old yearbooks back and forth. And we're like, oh, what an incredible and just fun and entertaining way to talk about how a brand kind of represents themselves in that sort of Gen Z, true to consumer spirit. So that's how all of this came about.
1: Yeah. And I will just add that nostalgia is a huge theme that we speak about. Yes. In the brand yearbook and one that is really major right now with Z audiences. And so we wanted to actually telegraph that in the design and sort of the entire framing as well.
4: You talk about being millennial and not professing to know your audience explicitly because you're not your audience. I actually think the sign for a great marketer is being able to walk a mile in a consumer shoe who's not yourself. It's one of those things where you have to recognize the idea that if you do me search, actually, it's an even easier trap to fall into if you do already sit in the demo because then you just project your own belief system onto it. So being able to take yourself outside of it is probably a greater, increases your likelihood of success, of course, if you're good at it. That's right. Yeah, that's so true. It is. And as somebody who is the parent of two Gen Z folks, adults, I guess, The last thing I would ever want to do is say, well, you know, I've got that Gen Z kid, so I know everything there is to know about that, or that I am Gen X.
1: (laughs) We've all been in meetings where that is the case as well, right? Where sort of, we're we're listening to the executives say, well, my kid says this. So we also wanted to, to do this because... We wanted to put together a group of brands that either are really connecting with these or we think have the most potential to do so using some common themes. And it wasn't just about my kid or your kid, or this is what I saw in the news. This was, here's what we see and how can we take from that thematically?
4: Let's kind of take out the potential brands that just say, well, my kid, blah, blah, blah. You probably know who's killing it. So who's killing it? And where do you see the opportunities, why, and how do you define killing it?
1: Well, why don't we break down a little bit about sort of who we really saw as the clear connection points, who are the brands who are really, like you say, killing it, and then which ones do we think have the biggest opportunity? I will say just maybe it it would be helpful to speak to some of those common themes just to sort of tease out, all right, what did we see? So I think really all the brands that we think connected with Z's and Michelle, this is something that I think we saw again and again, are either content and experience first brands, or they're creating content as a core part of what they do, not just as they're like marketing. They're really thinking about themselves through that social first lens, that content first lens, One of the best examples of this is Erewhon. Now, Erewhon is an LA-centric brand. Never has there been a more LA brand than I can think of in recent memory. If you do not live in LA, though, you know about this brand, likely. It doesn't really matter because it's really exported itself and become almost this uh, whatever other word for wellness and the thinking about sort of its connection points with Gen Z is really compelling. They've done an incredible job at creating beautiful stores, beautiful products that are ripe for sharing on social. They've also integrated influencers into their smoothie menus. And for that reason, we see them as like a travel destination among this cohort, which is bananas. It's a grocery store. Like, let's just remember that. Michelle,
2: you have such interesting things to say about fashion flexes. Oh, yeah. I'm obsessed with Erwan. When they started to really bubble up on the content side, I remember specifically messaging Sarah and being like, I think Erwan is the new Barneys New York. And the fact that a grocery store has taken this place of you know, you want to be seen there. It's a place where you flex the products. It's a $20 bag of kale chips that you feel you've transcended space and time eating. You know, it's such a special business and brand. And they have even gone to the point where they're doing product drops, like a high heat air one sweatshirt product drop is happening. And so we really think that fashion. It evolved during the pandemic. Where do you express yourself in different ways and what you're drinking, your beverages, etc. now is a part of your self-identity. And Erwan is certainly leading the charge at the top of the pyramid to say, oh, you're into health. This is your vibe and energy. So they're absolutely crushing it.
0: Ready to unlock the full potential of your media spend? Whether you're looking to launch a new product build your brand, or help increase sales this quarter, Walmart Connect helps brands make an impact with precise targeting, powerful analytics, and the reach of America's number one retailer. Walmart connect offers solutions for advertisers of all sizes on and off Walmart's digital properties and in their stores from cost-effective sponsored search and self-serve display ads on Walmart's site and apps to connected TV and off-site media across web and social to in-store activations and live events. Walmart connect can help you deliver the right content to the right Walmart customer at the right step of their shopping journey. And Walmart Connect's closed-loop measurement means they can track the full impact of your campaign on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today to find out how you can start connecting with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers. Walmart Connect. More than media. Meaningful connections.
3: So, question for you guys. Sarah, you opened up and said, let's talk about the type of Gen Z consumer we designed this report for. So, Erewan, I've shopped there. I bought two items and it's like $75. Like that store really caters to the 1%, which isn't necessarily reflective of like Gen Z worldwide. So, how do you guys think about middle America or lower income Gen Z consumer in this report? I think the first brand that comes to mind
1: there is Shein. Shein as we all know is essentially a tech brand masquerading as a fashion brand. It, you know, releases I think it's thousands of SKUs a, a week, is it Michelle? I think tens of thousands. Tens of thousands and they're all extremely low priced. That's a company that's gotten a ton of blowback from some of its practices across the spectrum whether it's, you know, environmental sustainability, production methods, etc. the list goes on. But in terms of affordability, it's definitely, definitely at the forefront of all of these brands. We also see brands that, you know, a lot of the creator-led brands, like we didn't put Emma Chamberlain Coffee in here, but we reference it in the context of the Coke. Um, and we talk about creator-led brands like Mr. B. Burger. you know, those are absolutely more affordable. And I do think one thing I just want to say around that affordability factor is, yeah, totally on with you absolutely for the 1%. But if you think about a $250 pair of sneakers that a kid would have flexed with in the past, and not to say that's not happening anymore, but now you have a $25 bag of kale chips, which isn't necessarily like you can actually imagine like, oh, that's actually quote unquote affordable next to what used to be considered cool in that way. So I just I just want to put it in perspective a bit that what's cool is changing and it's opening up a little bit from an aperture. perspective perspective. perspective. Michelle, do you want to jump in to add anything
2: on that? I read an interesting stat the other day that Gen Z is now starting to shop luxury goods four to six years earlier than millennials. And so they're coming in at the teenage era. And this idea that your beverage is now a luxury good, this $20 smoothie is something that you're now flexing at the same level as a Gucci bag, which is kind of mind blowing. But it it is how they see it. And so luxury in general for the 1%, it is evolved. And so when we think about price points and how you get in the game, I think you're going to start to see more brands in general expand through beverages because the price point is more accessible, but it allows you to have a small piece of that broader dream that the air ones of the world are selling. So that's sort of how we think about that.
4: That's an interesting point and the comparison to Shannon is, is a good one because trends don't necessarily have to be out of reach in order to be accessible. Back in my day, in the 80s and 90s, people were really into coach and so nobody could afford a coach bag unless you're buying it in Chinatown off the back of a truck. And so instead you had like a coach keychain or a coach wristlet, and so that became your affordable entree. But In the end, those were all tangible products. The way you talk about a beverage though, that ultimately it's ephemeral. When you say you're gonna buy something Gucci, you're theoretically making an investment. You're not buying a Gucci t-shirt, you're buying something with the big G's and making a statement. How do you think about tangible versus intangible as it relates to statements of who you are?
2: I mean, that sort of to me aligns to media types. And so when you think about how people are expressing themselves through social. You're either doing a TikTok or a story. TikTok's going to stick around, but obviously stories are more fleeting. So you need these things that can fill this self-identity of who I am on a more frequent basis. So I think that's where beverages can really sit in that need. And then when you think about things that are more lasting, that is this idea of wanting products that express who you are, but you can't necessarily repeat them over and over again. I think that's where you're also seeing an acceleration and places like Depop, et cetera, because you're going to buy into the Gucci, but you have to have more products to flex. So I think the turn overall is just faster because of how we express ourselves through content. And it's all connected, which I think is nuts. But Sarah, maybe you can speak more to that.
1: To build on that, I think there's a piece of this that's about, you know, speak to the sort of a rise in virtual fashion as well. So we actually put Gucci in here. It is true that Gucci is looking to sell things. They're looking to sell their actual goods. But there's also a huge piece of what they're doing that is building up their brand equity with Z's that will lead to the rise of virtual fashion as well. I mean, they certainly have already sold that. But if you think about notions of identity and sort of the fluidity of identity among this generation, which we see show up again and again, the idea that is it more real that I'm here in person versus on my TikTok versus on this virtual platform or playing in this virtual world like Roblox? Is it? You know, millennials tend to have a very different conception of that than Gen Z. So we have to think about well, what are the goods that are showing up for them in these virtual spaces. And as a brand, if Gucci's been at the forefront and in their mind again and again and again from such a young age, they're going to go buy the
3: Gucci purse in Roblox. You know what I mean? That's right. A lot of predictions, I think, were just said here in terms of (laughs) traditional brands that might have appeared in more of the lifestyle space and luxury flexing over to grocery. Personally, I love that for selfish reasons, uh, given that Sarah and I spent a lot of time in that space. I also think you make a really interesting point around the influence of social in particular and what that causes for someone's merchandising strategy and the breadth of skews I would challenge that, though, that from a, like just a business operating standpoint, what Sarah and I constantly are seeing within our customers is that actually most brands have had to shrink their SKU portfolio because yeah. the cost to bring a good to market is more expensive than ever before. At the same time, the retailers, they also recognize need of breadth of SKUs, right? Because they also need that from their ad business standpoint. To create more auction density for retail media, they need more SKUs. There's like a lot of interesting themes here. And then there's just some real friction of where we are in the economy right now and the cost it takes to bring products to market.
2: Totally. There's a company we called out that sits at an interesting intersection that you're sharing, which is called I Do Care. And they're sort of the next gen, I would say, grocery beauty store brand where They have a really strong core business in their beauty essentials. But what they're doing that's fascinating is instead of traditional energy marketing, they are creating products for the TikTok algorithm. I'll give you an example a normal sheet mask, you buy those, there's usually like, you know, one or three in a pack. Instead of just selling that, they sell a whole kit that comes with tweezers. And so when you buy it, you go through this, you know, four step process just to get the sheet masks out of the packaging. And it is so incredible from a content creation standpoint to watch these people take these steps. So they're thinking about how do I take a core product and think content first to create excitement out of something that could traditionally be seen as boring. And so you have that kind of play on the secondary piece of that on the energy marketing side. I think that's why you're seeing so many interesting creator collabs happening where brands are focused on their core moneymakers, of course, but then when you want to build excitement, you can de-risk that by doing a collab with a creator, which is going to create energy and halo effect for your core business. So I think those are kind of two interesting examples that we're seeing people try to expand their existing businesses with.
3: You know, when it comes to Gen Z and their shopping behaviors, we talked a lot about brand building and the types of brands they have affinity for. In your yearbook, did you analyze how they shop and are those behaviors different than prior generations?
1: Content builds the relationship and then that drives the shopping, it's a cause and effect.
2: One thing that you're seeing that you'll see in a big way is a transformation away from transactional sites to more content and community led sites and experiences. So riffing on what Sarah shared, you know, this idea of of integrating content first into the native shopping experience is super important and something you'll see a lot more of in the coming years.
1: One more thing, brands showing up as people. So that's a product of how people connect to other people on social platforms in a much more authentic way than they connect to brands. And so brands have been forced to show up as people with fully fledged personalities. And probably the best example of that is the Duolingo brand that we put in the yearbook, but there's a ton of others and we're seeing it in the
3: weirdest of categories. Love it. Well, we have to ask both of you our famous last question, which is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? I mean, I've got a ton, but the most
1: recent is that I launched a class. I launched an academy. It went live last week. It's 10 amazing women learning all about how to up-level their digital presence. And that was super brave because I've never done anything like it.
2: Bravest thing I've ever done, I build a lot of products. So every time I ship a new product, I feel like I'm terrified and so excited at the same time. So probably every time I do that.
3: Both of you have done remarkable things in the space. I love the predictions and insights that came out of this conversation. I think our listeners have a lot to learn from the yearbook. How do they access it? Yep. So go to
1: thebrandyearbook.com and you can essentially just
3: hit it up there. You'll get access. Thebrandyearbook.com. Go learn about what's inspiring Gen Z. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other episodes to nerd out about Gen Z, as well as walking a mile in your customer's shoes. If you're on a Gen Z kick, go check out Brie Olson of PacSun, where they talk about Gen Z, consumer identity. Also, check out Jay Sethi of Diageo, what I talked about earlier, where he really talks about how to build customer empathy. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, and thank you so much.
0: If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media, meaningful connections.